Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Chinese spies interference. What about Russia? It was a week that kind of, for me, solidified the sense that maybe we've been asleep at the wheel. New information about an NGO that built ties here in Canada, but took all their direction from spies in Moscow. That was alleged this week by the FBI. And we're going to get some information on how this relates to investigations and knowledge here in Canada. Joining me is Marcus Kolga, Disinfo Watch and Senior Fellow with the McDonald-Laurier Institute. Marcus, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on, Arlene. All right. Many Russia stories today. Here we go. First of all, this connection to Canada, this alleged illegal agent, Natalia Berlinova, connected to Moscow and spying here. There was an interview with Natalia in the Globe and Mail, and you and I have talked so much about Russia and Ukraine But in the light of Chinese election interference, here we have this new cloud haunting us back for those of us who've been watching it, Russian interference. What does the breaking of the story mean to you? Well, look, I mean, this is nothing new. Um, This is this sort of interference, uh, what we're seeing here in this indictment, the U.S. indictment against this woman, Natalia Berlinova and her organization, Picriati. Um, this is the sort of activity that the Soviets were engaging in during the Cold War. Um, and what they would do is that they would um, have their embassies and their intelligence agents who work at those embassies um, monitor and keep an eye out for uh, academics, journalists, um, officials who might be uh, open to um, working with uh, the Soviet government um, who might have a favorable view of of uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, and they were doing this throughout the Cold War. And we know this because uh, even back in 1945, there was a royal commission. Um, they identified several dozen of these Canadians who had been uh, contacted and, be- and became assets of the of the uh, of the Soviet government back then, eleven of them were were charged and uh, and found guilty of actually uh, working with the Soviet Union. Now, in the 1990s, of course, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the the Russians sort of scaled back those operations. They were more concerned about you know sort of rebuilding the country. And uh, but that all changed in in 2000 when Vladimir Putin came to power, and uh, they sort of uh, started recycling some of those. Uh, old Soviet uh, tactics of trying to influence Western democracies. And, and here we have this organization, uh, Picrati, and, and as you mentioned, this, this Natalia Berlinova, um, who was doing much of the same sort of activity, identifying, um, you know, Canadian, American, European academics, inviting them to Moscow, basically putting them through sort of propaganda sessions. Uh, and then sending them out with the hope that uh, back home, with the hope that they would relay those sorts of narratives back in their in their home countries. Um, and what's uh, what's really concerning about this specific organization and this person is that the the U.S. has now charged her um, with uh, with various offenses under the Foreign Registry uh, Act, and um, and apparently she was taking orders and and working very closely with the FSB, which is of course the um, the successor to the old K- Russian Soviet KGB, and so it's it seems like this uh, this 
organization was a uh, a Russian intel operation, uh, certainly funded by the Russian government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are these Canadian connections, uh, Canadian academics, um, perhaps some journalists who uh, who participated in in those uh, sessions. So, um, yeah, it's it's deeply concerning and, and further proof that Russia is trying to interfere in 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 our democracy here. Now, you and I have had lots of conversations over the last couple of years about this very thing. And I have to be honest with you, without naming names, I'm an interviewer. And sometimes I get people to comment on influence or Ukraine war, and they seem to be reciting what my research shows, uh, Russian talking points, and they're bang on. And some of them have quite surprised me. And I'll push back a little bit on them. And I, I wonder where where it comes from. Marcus, is this kind of opening a closet for Canadians, a wake-up call for Canadians on infiltration here, possibly? Well, definitely. Look, I, I, Canadians are obviously free and entitled to have their own opinions. Um, you know, the, the question is, when those, or where are those, those opinions coming from? What's influencing those opinions? If they're coming by them honestly, um, you know, there's clearly no problem with, with that. I mean, I, you and I may disagree with them, but they're, they're, they're entitled to have those opinions. The problem uh, occurs when, when you have um, foreign influence, you have RT, you have these, you know, uh, operations on social media that are being conducted out of um, St. Petersburg. We've all heard about the, the Internet Research Agency, this, uh, this basically a building that houses hundreds of, of Russian um, operators who, who uh, try to influence social media through this, through this organization, which, by the way, is owned by Yevgeny Prigozhin, the, the same person who owns the Wagner Mercenary Group. Um, when, mm-hmm. when these actors influence our public debate and manipulate our broader understanding of geopolitics. That's where, where the, the, the problem, we run into these problems. And the, the other problem is that when you have, you know, academics, journalists who participate in these exchanges with foreign authoritarian governments, they then come back home and are probably oh, yeah. a bit more predisposed to legitimizing those Russian state narratives. And, and that's where we, you know, we see the proliferation of them, the amplification of them. And then you have people coming on to your shows, um, you know, parroting some of these talking points, unfortunately. So that's, yeah, that's and then, where the problem is. Yeah. And then you see on social media, I learned something about Russia I didn't know before. The other side of the story, all of it. I mean, you get used to it after a while. Before yeah. we move on, because there's so much to talk about this week. But this this person is now using Russia phobia. Here we go. <laughs> I mean... That's a classic. <laughs> uh, it's a classic. What were you thinking when you read that in this? I started. I honestly, I, I had the. Uh, I had. I opened up my globe this morning. I saw the article, and I. I, I nearly had a spit take. I mean, these were mm-hmm. all the classic talking points. You know, Russophobia. That's a, it's as you know, uh, you know, we're we're chuckling about it, but this is a a, a term that's used often by the Russian government, Russian agents, to deflect attention away. Um, and uh, and to uh, push back against any sort of critics of of the Russian government. So you know, I was I was, I was surprised to actually see that in in this interview. I thought you know uh, this woman may have been a bit more sophisticated, but to know she you know went to the old standard Russophobia. Uh, and then of course when uh, when the interviewer Colin Freeze, the the journalist mm-hmm. who actually wrote the initial story about this, 
a couple of days ago. Uh, you know, he asked about those connections to the FSB, and she said that oh, she can't comment on that. She's instructed not to comment on it, but it's Russophobic. So, I mean, it was uh, it was a bit of a, a a train wreck of an interview. I found, and I think I came out out of that read after reading that, thinking that um, I'm, you know, it's it's I'm I'm confident that uh, that the U.S. got it right. That she is probably uh, very much working. Uh, with uh, or if not for the the uh, Russian government and Russian intelligence. All right. We have to stay tuned to that one. I also want to get your comment uh, tying into this. We had some comments from the prime minister that came out from the leaked document. That is the worry for the Pentagon in the United States from the 21-year-old National yeah. Guardsman making international headlines by a story that ties in with Ukraine and Russia because it is our prime minister saying we cannot meet those military commitments. Canada, our relationship with allies, our commitment and our reliability are on the line, according to a lot of analysis around the world. And Marcus, we've been getting a lot of negative press as a country, certainly the prime minister. Is it deserved? Is this a moment? Uh, yeah, well, look, I, I speak to a lot of these uh, foreign government representatives, our NATO allies and such. Um, and I've already been hearing for a number of years, uh, a lot of grumbling about our failure to meet our NATO commitments, uh, certainly with with regards to the 2% of, of, of funding. Um, there have been questions about whether we're a reliable partner. Uh, I think it's affecting our reputation uh, uh, amongst our allies. Um, and certainly, you know, in Latvia, where we, we have our troops, thankfully, and, and it's much appreciated by the Latvian government that we are there leading that enhanced forward presence mission uh, to deter a, a Russian attack against the Baltics. But, um, you know, last year in Madrid, we made a commitment to expanding that and we've done virtually nothing about it. Um, and it, and it seems like we cannot, we don't have the resources and we don't have the funding to actually carry through, uh, with that project. Um, you know, it's everyone noticed when it, you know, our turn came up to participate in the Baltic air policing. Uh, pro- NATO program. Uh, this is a, a you know uh, an air policing program that's based out of Lithuania, where NATO allies rotate in and out every few months um, with their jets and their their pilots to patrol the Baltics. Um, we weren't able to do it the last time. We had to uh, we had to ask NATO for for a pass on it, but just simply because uh, we didn't have the resources. Uh, our allies are noticing this, and um, you know I think that Canadians need to be a bit more aware of this. You know, I think we've got away with a, a free pass when it comes to our national defense because of our, our neighbor to the south and our, and our good relations with them. But they're also, as you know, that article in the Washington Post indicated, they're also not very happy. Mm-hmm. And there have been some pretty, uh, pretty sharp comments coming from uh, former, former U.S. diplomats um, who are saying that Canada really needs to uh, uh, step up and, uh, and, and get with the program uh, within NATO and within our, for our national, our own national security. So it's, it's a big concern. Vladimir Kara Mirza, a sentence, 25 years. I know you just wrote a piece, uh, opinion piece in the Globe and Mail about, again, how Canada has to step up here. All the allies have to step up. Oh. Is it getting enough attention, Marcus? It never gets enough attention, Arlene. Uh, and again, uh, I want to thank you because you've been covering this story regularly on all of your programs, and and it's 
really thanks to that that I think that there is attention uh, here in Canada. Um, but yeah, we need to pay more attention to this. Um, you know, we need to do a heck of a lot more to uh, support Russian civil society um, and and dissidents like Vladimir. Um, you know, uh, this means you know supporting their families, for example. Um, through through with our allies, um, making sure that they have what they need to get by when their family member is is sitting in a in a Russian prison. And as you mentioned, Vladimir is in there for twenty five years. Um, you know, without you know, it's it's that sort of support. Uh, if we can demonstrate that sort so, sort of support and provide that sort of support, that um, then empowers and uh, enables uh, enables others to uh, take on that same sort of very very risky work of. Of standing up and advocating for for democracy, um, because look, if if ultimately if if we want a world that is without Vladimir Putin, um, it's going to uh, that so that world is going to come to be through people like Vladimir Karamorza who are fighting for democracy. Um, so if we want that sort of a world, we need to support that and invest in those people and those organizations who are fighting for, uh, on our behalf and for democracy in uh, in Russia and, and ultimately stability throughout the. Uh, throughout Europe and the rest of the world. All right, we got a bit of Russia mania here. I, I also, I also see that um, the McDonald Laurier Institute is the target of Russia. They are not in agreement with your website. No. Are you honored to be singled out, Marcus? <laughs> it's getting tiring uh, getting mm -hmm. singled out all the time by the mm -hmm. Russian government. Uh, no, look. Uh, I think that the Canadian government has to pay attention to this quite honestly. Um, what happened here is that the a Russian prosecutor general sent a, uh, a letter to the McDonald Laurie Institute's web hosting company demanding that the hosting company take down the MLI website uh, because of uh, some laws that uh, the website or content on the website had apparently violated. And what this represents is, is a, a case of transnational censorship, uh, transnational repression, intimidation, trying to uh, silence Canadians. Um, and it's, an inf it's, a, it's a direct uh, effort to violate our, uh, our, uh, our freedoms. Uh, and this is something that I should hope that it should come to the attention of the Canadian government. And the Canadian government should be asking the, uh, the, the Russian ambassador for an explanation as to how this is possible and why they think they have a right to do this. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an honor, but it's also a really deep concern. If we, if we let this pass, if we don't stand up and say something, um, they may start doing this with other websites, diaspora groups, others. Uh, this is how they intimidate uh, uh, Canadian critics and uh, critics in the Western world into silence. Look at all the oh, all the stories that are uh, circling here about Russia, uh, Vladimir Karamurza and his treatment to critics. Then we have uh, the infiltration and the attention given on those who may walk among us here in Canada, taking yeah. their orders from Moscow. We've, we're focusing so much on Chinese election interference. Let's put it all together here. Marcus, if I gave you a magic wand and you could affect what Canadian democracy and perhaps Canadian powers that be in our government, what would you do right now? I mean, is this an unveiling of something that maybe people have either been blind to or they didn't want to see? Well, look, I think you're absolutely right in, in noting the fact that we've been focused almost uh, exclusively on, on Chinese government interference, uh, whether it's, you know, primarily during our elections and, and otherwise, uh, and certainly 
Yeah, and rightfully so with these police stations that are used to monitor or intimidate the Chinese diaspora here in in, in Canada. But um, the problem is much broader. You know, Russia is doing the same thing. They are also monitoring uh, their diaspora. Um, they are threatening critics. I've, you know, you and I have talked about this years ago. I've, I've faced death threats that have been uh, investigated by the police. Uh, others have, you know, this now there's this case against uh, the McDonnell Lorry Institute. Um, these are not threats that just, you know, they're, they don't just uh, emerge during election periods. It is our entire democracy. It is our, um, our, our freedom of expression, our understanding of the world that is being targeted by not just China, but the Russian government, the Iranian government, and other authoritarian regimes. And, you know, we need to start um, acting quickly if we want to defend ourselves because they're not, they don't sleep, they don't stop. They're, for them, this is a, a 24-7 operation to try and undermine our democracy and, and destabilize us and, and erode the cohesion within our society. So what if I had a magic wand, I would accelerate the creation of this uh, foreign influence registry scheme that would require uh, foreign agents like this one that is this person who's been indicted, for example, in the U.S., um, making sure that we have a registry so that our elected officials, our media, everyone knows who's uh, being uh, paid for by the by foreign regimes, uh, who they're acting on on behalf of. And um, and what their uh, objectives are doing that's that's important and and for the government to come up with a whole of society approach to mm-hmm. starting to talk about this uh, this problem throughout our democracy um, bringing media social media civil society academics and the government and all political parties around the table so that everyone gets on the same page and we can start talking about how we push back against this as a society uh, because that's the only way we're going to defend ourselves against it. Um, like I said, these uh, our, our adversaries don't sleep, and they're going to continue this sort of activity um, until we we stand up and, and put a stop to it. I have final question, and it's putting it in context for our listeners here. Have we been asleep more than other countries? I mean, are we? Have we been ignoring this? Yeah, yeah. We've, I mean, it's just like our national defense. You know, the fact exactly. that you know we've been sleepwalking the past several decades, certainly since the end of the Cold War. There's been this belief that, you know, who's going to attack us? We're, we're just Canada. We're just a middle power. No one wants to mess around with us. Um, and so we've let our guard down with regards to national defense. Uh, we've uh, let our guard down with regards to defending and promoting democracy. This is something that we just stopped doing altogether and something that we the, the uh, democratic community used to do quite a bit in the past. We've stopped doing that. And so, yeah, uh, you know, I think we believe that, um, you know, as uh, Fukuyama said, we, we arrived at the end of history in 1991, 1992, that liberal democracy had won, but it hasn't. Um, and we're, we're on our heels right now. Uh, and we need to recognize this. Uh, and I don't think that we've, we've, we've done that fully. Uh, and, and this is, you know, our, our adversaries know this and we're going to exploit that. Marcus Koga. Senior Fellow at the McDonnell Laurier Institute, leader of the Canadian Civil Society Campaign for Magnitsky Legislation. Thank you, Marcus. Wake up call. Thank you for dinging the bell. Appreciate it. Always, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Armin. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.